Our children are heading off with Laura and our 1040 group are heading out with Beck and Nick. So God bless you as you enjoy the word of the Lord. So as Pastor Alf uh, shared this morning as part of our communion, um, we're in a series on Hebrews. And I'm really looking forward um, to the series. Who's been stuck into reading the Word or listening to the Word? Yeah, great. A few hands. Beautiful. Um, so I just want to uh, really get straight into it. But before we do that, there's some handouts. That, um, I think my, my helpers have just departed. So uh, thankfully we have a beautiful church with hundreds of helpers. So thank you. I've just got a booklet that I trust will um, just be of some assistance to you. Um, I, I would say that our Hebrew series is, is really time for Jesus. Um, the Hebrews has a special place in the Bible. It focuses on what we call the high Christology of Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, and his role as high priest... And looking at a whole book gives us time, gives us opportunity to really enter into what the writer is saying. It's like watching a movie from the start to the finish, all the way through. So each, seri- each week, uh, a different person is going to bring some thoughts on each chapter. They're going to bring those thoughts to us prayerfully to encourage us and to build us up in what the writer is talking about. Um, can I suggest to you, though, to get more out of this series, it's going to require more than just Sunday. I wonder if this, this Hebrew series can go beyond Sunday. Um, if you're a reader, can I encourage you to read Hebrews? Just read it. If you read a chapter a day, maybe you read through the whole book every week. But as you read it and allow it to wash over you, it will affect you and change you. Maybe you're a listener. Maybe reading's a bit hard. Maybe you love to listen. There's plenty of Bible audio that you can get your hands on. Or maybe you're a watcher. There is so much on YouTube for the YouTubians who, who know how to do that. There's just, YouTube has got plenty on Hebrews. So there are lots of ways to engage. Also, the booklet is a starting point for you. It has some background there and some helpful information to really help you study. Um, and get into this book. And on our website, through Alvanto, there's a resource page there which has got lots of video clips that you can click to, audio. If you don't know how to find it, it's all there through Alvanto. And I'd be happy to talk you through that if anyone's interested. The posture of our heart for this series is to really seek Jesus, to be more focused, more intentional, more time for him and with him. Whatever it takes for you to do that, maybe to take some notes if you're a note taker, maybe to share something that you've read or heard with someone sitting next to you or someone who isn't here today, or maybe you need to go and do something. Whatever it means for you to engage with this book, I would encourage you to do so. This series is about time for Jesus. Um, So let's just get into some of the background of this book, the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews remains a mystery. Probably the number one question about this book is who was the author? It remains a mystery. It's Pauline and it's theology, but when you assess it against the other letters Paul wrote, most scholars go, yeah, we we kind of think this probably wasn't written by Paul, but it was 
highly likely was someone close to Paul, was someone who was perhaps with Paul or, or very close to him. However, the unknown authorship shouldn't shake the truth that is contained in it. It shouldn't change the truth that it shares with us. It's a real letter to real people at a real time. It was probably circulated maybe 65 AD, somewhere around there. There are lots of references to the Old Testament, lots of references to Hebrew customs and culture. So scholars say that the, the, the writing of this book was probably to a Jewish Christian community and, and many suggest that it's in Rome or in the Rome-type area. Um, Hebrews deals with the issues the readers had. These Jewish Christians had issues. And so this letter is being written to them to process and deal with those issues. Issues like um, uh, angels and Moses and the law and sacrifice had taken the, the prime place of their focus. No longer was Jesus their main focus, but a lot of what they had been used to before Christ became their focus again. There are some suggestions around why that happened. Maybe they were facing persecution. Maybe they were facing a little bit of pushback from the, perhaps the Orthodox Jewish community. They weren't connected into the same people that they used to be. So they were maybe isolated. Maybe they weren't getting the good jobs that were available. Maybe they were praying and prayers weren't being answered. Maybe they were hoping for things that hadn't come about. We're not entirely sure, but there was a lot of pressure for these people and they found comfort in returning back to what they knew. Um, so uh, I think it's a message that perhaps we need to hear again today. It's a message that we need to wrestle with again today because Hebrews responds with the simple thought that Jesus is greater. Jesus exceeds all. Jesus exceeds all beings, all people, all pursuits and ob objects and objectives. Jesus uh, is, a, is above and exceeds and is greater than all human hopes. Anything that we're attracted to, Jesus is greater than that. And Hebrews provides us with a way to understand the Old Testament, as Pastor Ralph shared, and points it to Jesus. When we read through Hebrews we, and then look back in the Old Testament, it goes, ah, Okay, that's what they were saying in the Old Testament. It's all pointing towards Christ. And that will unpack itself over the coming weeks. The Old Testament is no longer just a patchwork of events and prophets and prophecy, but it clearly points to the High Priest, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God coming to earth and now our permanent High Priest, the one who intercedes for us, the one who made himself an offering for us. The priesthood of Jesus is superior to that of Aaron. Jesus himself became the sacrifice. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. That is the phrase for this book for us. Jesus is greater. And because Jesus is greater, this book of Hebrews calls us into a lifestyle that actually shows Jesus is greater. Because Jesus is greater, it's not just enough to not rob banks. It's not just enough to not do the wrong thing. Hebrews and Jesus being greater calls us to live a life worthy of him, calls us to live a life where in every circumstance we know that Jesus is greater. In every circumstance, other people realise that something greater is at work. It's Jesus. 
It's not enough just to come to church and sing and, and, and clap and, and give money and get a coffee and say hello to, to Arnie Moore. That, that's not enough. The book of Hebrews calls us to see that Jesus is greater in everything. It's a different lifestyle. If Jesus had just lived an average life, he would never have gone to the cross. He would never have gone to the cross. Jesus is greater. Jesus is superior. Jesus exceeds all things. Hebrews makes it clear that only one person deserves the primary place in our lives. Only one. For the Hebrew community that this letter was being written to, Jesus was not in that primary place. Jesus was not there. But you know what? The book of Hebrews still speaks to us today. Its words are alive and active. Its power is there. The book of Hebrews is like a sharp sword, a two-edged sword that cuts through everything. The book of Hebrews is like a sword that divides our soul and it divides the spirit, divides joints and marrow. If you have the courage to engage with this book, if you have the desire to become before Jesus our high priest, this book will convict your thoughts, convict your attitudes. It will root out the true intentions of your heart and it will shine light to judge your heart. Let's pray. Father God, may we be attentive to your word this morning. May we lay out our hearts before you. May we concentrate and stay focused. May we leave today with an undeniable, unwavering conviction that Jesus is greater. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I maybe just want to uh, break down the... Um, can you give me some control? Beautiful. Uh, I just want to break down Hebrews maybe into two main parts. I would say that the first chapter in the book of Hebrews you could categorise in two ways. The first thought is that there are a set of statements and these are captured from verses 1 to 4 and verse 14. And, and then the second part is this pleading or imploring, this, this process by which the writer paints a picture to back up those statements. And what we're going to do now is we're going to watch a video clip. And this video clip is of a, a man who is kind of playing and speaking this first chapter of the book of Hebrews. Thanks, Anna. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. At many times and in various ways, but in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. Now, when he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, and so he became just as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today, I have become your father. Or again, he says, I will be his father, he will be my son. Or again, when God brought his firstborn into the world, he said, let all God's angels worship him. What about the angels, he says? He makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, 
God will last forever. And righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom, for you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. And again, he says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will all perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They'll be changed, but you remain the same. And your years To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? A footstool for your feet. Nice, eh? So let's perhaps uh, take a moment and look at the statements. Um, The statements that were made. And as you heard the scripture being spoken to you, when the Hebrews heard that, that would have been like, whoa, because they really loved angels. To hear that as one of those people in 65 AD, that would have got your attention so powerfully. Imagine believing that something you you, you just came to believe is absolutely true, and then someone tells you, no, that's not quite true. That sort of feeling, that sort of emotion was being wrestled with by these people. And so, just briefly, these statements that the writer makes, verses 1 to to 2, the the writer clearly shows this transition from prophets to Jesus. It very clearly says, you know the prophets that spoke to you? And they all would have went, oh yeah, yeah, the, the, the prophets and David, yeah, we love those guys. He, he, he acknowledges that understanding. But then he says, but you know what? Jesus is now, sorry, God is now speaking through Jesus. And so, the, so what he's trying to do is, is bring the belief that they've given to the prophets, bring the belief that they've given to the Old Testament scriptures and the ways and the culture that came with that. And, and he's asking them to now look at Jesus, not in that same way, but in a new way. God is now speaking through Jesus. The big assertion that is made is definitely in verse 3. This is is a, a monumental verse. You could preach four weeks on this single verse alone. Jesus is the exact representation. Jesus is is the character of God. Jesus is Uh, is is like the radiating glory of God. These are massive, massive statements. For the Jewish mindset, this is is getting your attention straight away. Chapter 1 is an attention grabber. If you were watching a movie, it would be like the biggest action scene ever. You know how James Bond always starts with a car chase? Um, Whatever film you're watching, that first five minutes is action-packed. This would have arrested these people with great intensity. But we shouldn't be surprised by these words. After all, Paul says in Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. John says in John chapter 1 verse 18, no one has ever seen God, 
but the one and only Son who is himself God and in the closest relationship with the Father. In verse 4, angels cannot compete with that. I don't know what your angels are. Maybe they're not angels, maybe they're your things. Maybe they're your things that you rely on and have comfort in. Those things can't keep up with Jesus. They can't keep up. Jesus is greater than all those things. There are these bold, monumental statements about Christ, reminding the Hebrews of what first brought them to Jesus in the first place. But then the writer goes on to plea and implore and to show how these statements work from the Old Testament Scriptures. So there are two primary things happening here. The writer uses the Old Testament and Jewish culture to back up his statements that Jesus is greater. The Jews knew their Old Testament. They just knew it. Sorry, they knew their Old Testament. They even knew Leviticus and Numbers. Can you believe that? Like they, they knew these books. They, they grew up with it. You know how sometimes as a family we eat together and watch TV? They sat around memorising the scriptures together. So this was part of what they did. This was part of their culture. This was part of who they were. And the writer is leveraging that understanding, that culture, to show that Jesus is greater. But then he's also using this idea of memory or heritage. He's using, he's using who they know themselves to be, their identity. He's leveraging the emotion that comes with knowing you're a Jewish person, that knowing you belong to this construct of people who call themselves the people of God. He's using that to also show that Jesus is greater. And there's a subplot. And the subplot is this idea that God said. We'll come back to that in a moment. But let's look at how the writer uses the Old Testament. There's a table here. I'm sorry if it's a bit hard to read, but it's just a simple analysis table and I want to show you what it's doing. Down the left-hand side, there are the verses of the first chapter of Hebrews. So verse 5. Verse 5 of chapter 1 of Hebrews references directly the Old Testament passages in Psalm 2 and 2 Samuel 7. If you have a Bible with some notes, you should see that written there for you. There is nothing hidden here. There's nothing magical here. This is all very known um, and, and, you know, just go on the internet, it's all there. But most Bibles will have these there for you. And so, and so what I believe is happening here is, is the statements that, um, that are in verse 2, 3 and 4, they're being backed up by the Old Testament Scriptures in Psalm 2 and 2 Samuel 7. So in Psalm 2... Um, God says that this is my son, I will become his father. God, God reinforces these identity issues. And what does the Hebrews say, uh, what does the writer of Hebrews say in verses 2, 3 and 4? Constantly referring to Jesus as the son of God. So don't just take my word for it, look at what the psalm says. That's what the writer's doing. And so if you have a look down the left-hand side of all the different uh, um, uh, References that the writer is making, he's referencing Psalm 104, Deuteronomy, Psalm 45, Psalm 102. They would have known all of these off by heart. And so he's backing up constantly the statements that he's made. He's, he's constantly using the Old Testament at every verse to back up those statements that he has said at the very start. And as a, as a listener, as a reader of this letter, you, you would have gone... Actually, that's a really good point. 
In, in, in chess, that would be checkmate. It's hard to argue against the scriptures you really hold dear to yourself. It, it's hard to argue against the culture that you yourself are so in that how can you call it false? You have to acknowledge the statements that were made on the basis of what the Old Testament says about the Messiah, about Christ. I think the writer is brilliant of how he uses the scriptures of the Old Testament and uses the culture to emphasise Christ, that Jesus is greater. What's also really interesting here is that in most of chapter 1, in most of chapter 1, Jesus is expressed by his identity. He's expressed by his relationship. He's spoken about through his eternalness, that he is to be worshipped, that he's about justice and joy. And there's this kind of meshing of Father God and Son of God together. Yet the angels, how are they mentioned and spoken about? They're spoken about as servants. They're given tasks. They're, they're to worship God and Christ. Angels are sent. Angels are, are described like physical things, like fire and wind. Jesus is like God. He's the Son of God. He's not like wind or fire. Through Jesus, it says that the whole world was created. The universe was brought about. So how can things as part of the universe be greater than the one who made the universe? It's not possible. The creator is always more, is always greater than the creation. Always, always, every time. Um, this is a picture of uh, my kids in Queensland and there was a huge tree there and they climbed this tree together because... I just fell in the back of the car. They reached that place where they were a bit ratty. Uh, not Anna, she was perfect. Um, but the rest of them were really ratty. And so I thought, you know what, let's, let's find a park to run around in. And so my kids climbed this tree, this beautiful old tree. It's huge, with nice low-hanging branches so they could get up there. You know, someone planted that tree years and years and years ago. That, that tree was planted and watered years ago so that my kids now could come and play. That's a great imagery for me when I think about heritage, about memory. What do you remember about what you were given? Some of you are 100 years old, some of you are 20 years old, some of you are 10 years old. What is it about you remember about your heritage? That things that were planted when you were young and were watered and were protected to grow up and to really stay there. Some of those things that maybe you've watered into your kids' lives. Maybe, maybe your kids aren't with the Lord. Or, or Those things that you've spoken about are like this tree. They don't go away easily. The biggest battles for people who've known Jesus and walked away is that the tree never goes away. The tree is constantly there. It's screaming at them in their head. It's shouting at them in their hearts. And the reason why the book of Hebrews was so powerful is because that's what Jesus does. Jesus woos us. He... he he, he invites us into something bigger and something greater, free of charge, complete grace. It's very compelling and very hard to resist. It's like a tree that just stands there. The Old Testament and the old prophets and the glory days of Israel, these were held in deep affection for the Jewish people. And so these are the memories, these are the emotions that the Jewish people have. And when the writer takes the Old Testament scriptures... They can't argue against that. They can't argue against that. 
They might have done on the outside, but here, the truth is there. The truth is there. Um, Do you have any memories of climbing trees? Any tree climbers here? I heard Mavis was a great tree climber. Uh, You have to check with her about that, I'm not sure, but... I remember climbing a tree, about 10 years old, at the back of a house that we were living in Melbourne. Uh, My parents are here today, so I've just got to be a bit more careful now what I say. (laughs) But there was this huge pine tree. It would have been, like, massive. And I felt confident to climb it. So I climbed it really, really high. And And I got to the bit where I thought, that's about as high as I want to go. And I looked down and I realised that was probably more than I wanted to go. But I could see everything. But you know what happened up on that tree? It got a bit windy. And I looked down and I started to... I, I, I can even feel it now. You, you, have you got memories? you got emotions you reflect back? I, I just looked down and I, I thought, I think I'm going to get blown out of the tree. And so I began to go down slowly. You know how you look down and see where the branch is and you put your foot down? It's a bit like going down a stair, you know, you... And it's a bit of a leap. At some stage, you have to kind of release a bit to get to that branch that's down there below. I reckon climbing up a tree is much easier than going down. And, and so I've, I remember I was going down, but I reached this point where, and I don't know how far down, but I was still high up, where I just couldn't feel it. I was reaching for it. I'm trying to see where the branch is. I can't see it. I really was scared. I just remember I was so fearful. I just remember that I thought, I'm either going to have to live up here for the rest of my life. No, I didn't think that, but it's funny to say. I'm going to fall down and break my arm. The only doctors here would probably know that this sort of mass and that sort of acceleration creates a lot of force. Probably more than my arm would be hurt, but I was really fearful. I was really, really fearful. What I wasn't aware, though, was that my dad was watching I had no idea. I had no idea. And as I'm up there looking, searching around, I hear this voice. And the voice was, how's it going? You know that voice was the sweetest voice I could ever have heard. That voice just calmed my nerves. That voice was like peace. That voice was like strength. That voice was, was just, how are you going? Are you okay? That voice just boosted me. But I had a choice to make in that moment. I could have said, I'm fine. (laughs) Or I could have said, I'm stuck. And I'm glad I went with, I'm stuck. Because if I'd said, I'm fine, I'm sure Dad would have just stood to one side and just waited for the moment where I'm stuck comes. I'm sure Dad would have stayed there waiting for for the moment where finally Ben said, I'm stuck. But you see, after I said I was stuck, then he said, I'll help you down. And so so as I'm climbing the the tree, my my dad's on the ground, he's kind of saying, okay, there's there's a branch below your left foot. Just let it it feel for it. You're almost there, just a bit further. You're going to have to let go. You're going to have to try. It's, It's there. And then I, I was listening to the instructions and stepping down this tree. I was, I was coming down this tree because of the instructions that I was giving. My dad guided me down that tree. I was still scared, but I was okay. I was still struggling, 
But I knew I was going to make it. You see, as a young boy, I, I thought I was alone. But my dad was there, I presume, for most of the time. I wonder if that's how we feel about God sometimes. I just wonder. I just wonder if it's like we're in a tree and, you know, we feel alone. I just, I just wonder. I just wonder. You see, my dad wanted to help me, but you know what? If my own dad wants to help me, how much more does the Father in Heaven want to help us? How much more does our Father in Heaven want to give us good gifts? If my dad knows how to give me a good gift, how much more does Father God, how much more does Jesus want to give to you? How much more? Jesus is greater in every way. Do you rely on what God has actually said? And now to that subplot. Did God really say? I find it absolutely fascinating. Genesis chapter 3 is probably one of my favourite chapters that I just love to run over and over again. I can't help myself. But the first thing that Satan says to humanity, the very first thing, the very first words, the very first interaction between this evil and this created being in the image of God is, did God really say? Interesting. There is a huge subplot here going on in the book of Hebrews, and it's, did God say? What did God say? And, and then the enemy's there screaming at you, go, did he really say it? What he's really saying is, do you really believe it? Do you really trust it? Do you really know it? Are you sure that what God has said really matters and really works for you? Do you rely on what God has said to you? Do you rely on his word? Do you live by what God said? Chapter 1 is full of God said. You just need to go through all the verses and there's something there God said. There's something there God commands, God names, God speaks, God gave, God's anointed. There is action of God throughout the entire chapter 1. God said is a huge subplot of this chapter. What do you do with what God has said to you? Do you live by it? Do you act accordingly? Do you trust it? Do you wait upon it? Do you pray for it? Do you believe it? What do you do with what God said? For example, in James chapter 5... <clears throat> It says, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders to come pray for you. In Luke chapter 17, it says, watch yourselves. If someone sins against you, then, then forgive them. Um, in Matthew chapter 6, it says, don't store up treasures on earth, lay treasures up in heaven. In Matthew 5, it, 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 says, it says, pray for your enemies. God, did you really say that? Love your, love your enemies? In Philippians chapter 4, it, it, it says that, that your needs will be met according to the riches of Father. Lord, did you really say that? In Romans chapter 8, it says all things work together for good. All things. John chapter 14 says, whatever you ask for me, I will, whatever you ask for, I will do it. Jesus, did you really say that? Guys, I don't know how you feel, but last week, Mavis just shared a thousand and one sermons in one hit. And I know she's sitting here, and I'm not trying to embarrass her, but she's someone who actually lives by God said. How can you deny the stories? You see, to the Hebrews, he, he was leveraging those same things. You know, God said this, and God has said this. To a Jewish mindset, it's like, well, yeah, he has. 
I, I can't beat that. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. I wonder if, though, how they got to that point. I wonder if the people that the writer of Hebrews was writing to, I wonder how they got to that point. I wonder if it was because they'd maybe, you know, maybe prayers weren't answered. Maybe, maybe they did take the sick to the elders and maybe they weren't healed. Maybe they really do have trouble forgiving someone. Maybe, maybe they are struggling financially and God hasn't met their needs. I just wonder what it was. I wonder what it was. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than everything. For us today, I think we finish with this thought. Jesus is greater than. What do you have to put in that box today? What do you have to put into that space? Jesus is greater. Is it something physical or is it a need of provision? Jesus is greater than my health situation. Jesus is greater than the bill I need to pay. Jesus is greater than the emotional frustration that I have. Jesus is greater than the distrust I have for people and leaders. Jesus is greater than the relational turmoil I face. Jesus is greater than the loneliness I feel. Jesus is greater than the purpose I seem to be lacking. Jesus is greater than, you know, I don't really feel useful. But I think the big one are the last two. If you can't write down anything else, these two should be there. Jesus is greater than me. Jesus is greater than my religion. Do you believe that today? We can fall into religion. We can fall into religiosity that serves us. How can you tell? By the way you live. If Jesus is greater, that lifestyle is very different to a religious lifestyle. A religious lifestyle is, is, is one that looks like it is religion. A Jesus lifestyle is something completely different. It looks like a cross. It looks like someone who gave themselves so that we could know the Father. What do you need to write there? We're going to finish with a video clip and, um, and then we'll close in prayer. Have we lost sound? No sound? Sorry. It's not usually Thanks. us. You want to restart it, Nana? Thanks, buddy. Have you ever noticed how we are almost trained to make enemies? From birth, we are trained to assert ourselves above and against one another. We look for anything to pit ourselves against the person on the other side. It's not usually us with them, it's us versus them. For example, when I was a senior in high school, I was supposed to dislike the freshmen simply because they were freshmen. As a baseball player, I was supposed to hit the opposing batter with my fastball if he did anything disrespectful. Blacks versus whites, conservatives versus liberals, rich versus poor, Republican versus Democrat, and Americans versus whoever we're at war with. It starts so early, we don't even notice. We love to pit ourselves against others because it gives us moral authority. It gives us moral affirmation. But let's be honest. Sometimes Christians are the worst. Our church is better than the one down the street. The way we do worship is better than the worship in the church we grew up in. Calvinists versus Arminians, complementarians versus egalitarians, charismatics versus cessationists, and Catholics versus Protestants. As if the world dying outside really cares. 
Jesus needs to be greater than our religion. The writer ends the chapter with this phrase, angels are only servants. Spirits sent to care for who? To care for people who will inherit salvation. Are you inheriting salvation today? That's, that's what angels are. Angels are sent to care for you. Jesus cares for you. Heavenly Father, you are greater than all things. You sent your son, Jesus, so that he might be the permanent high priest, the one who gave of himself and now permanently intercedes for us. Jesus, you are greater than everything. May we hear the voice of that still quiet voice that wants to guide us down the tree. May we be attuned to the voice that wants to carry us. May we be attuned to the voice that wants to provide for us. May we be attuned to the voice that wants to heal us. May we choose to live by what God said. May we fully appreciate the statements that are made about you. You are the Son of God. You are supreme. Jesus, help us to live in a way where you are greater. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. May Jesus be greater in every part of your life. Uh, Tea and coffee.